It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Rich is uh, out of the office again today, so I have an opportunity to just visit with you folks and kind of talk about things that are happening and, and uh, things that, as they are, uh, the way I kind of are trying to put them together. There never was a time that I remember when there was so much confusion. Uh, let me put it a little more bluntly. So much hate, so much anger. And what is the cause of it? One thing is sure, the man who is in the White House and was elected president, quite honorably and, uh, and legally, in the way Americans elect their presidents, well, he seems to be at the center. But why is that? Exactly. Why is that? What has he said uh, that caused him to get elected? And then exactly what has he been doing since other than trying to keep the promises that he made before the election? Now, one thing is sure, I kind of I figured when everything was settling down and he was really speaking in earnest, that when he talked about let's put America back on the map— Let's make America. And when he said make America great again, it isn't, it isn't in that uh, sense of being a kingmaker, but where America was husky and manufacturing and people had jobs and they were getting an education and everything was being built in America that America was then able to consume which created greater economy. So anyway, then education and then religious liberty, for goodness sake, those of us who are Christians, what a wonderful thing it is to have the freedom to pray, the freedom to worship God, not just in the square, the, the, the building, but wherever we are. And that's the freedom, by the way, for everyone else's religious faith or not. Uh, any religious faith. I remember a good friend of mine. Oh, I'm trying to think of his name right now. He's a Jewish gentleman. And he said, as a Jew, I am able to be a Jew in Christian America, not in spite of it, but because of it. Where else could you live on the planet and express your faith as a Jew uh, better than in America? That's what it was all about in the first place. I want to tell you something else, because we are, have lost the word respect. We've lost the word honor. We've lost the word uh, uh, be polite, pay attention. Uh, remember, the teachers are teachers and the students are students. All of those relationship things are tumbling down. It was just a few days ago that I read an article where a teacher, I believe it was the eighth grade, had uh, the students, I think it was in um, it was it was in New Jersey. And the students, the eighth grade students had gotten up in the class and left in rebellion because the teacher told them to speak American in class and that sort of thing. Well, then the teacher, of course, they, the, the authority said, oh, well, what she really meant was, you know, they should be speaking English. Uh, so she said it in an indelicate way. But then I thought, well, those students, 
they want to be Americans. They are Americans. And the school's purpose is to help them function and to grow up and be amalgamated and be participating in the whole system of America, just like every other American. Now, English language is our common tongue. But if you have eighth grade students that are sitting around talking in the classroom, by the way, in school, in the language that is common to wherever they had come from, another country, so on and so forth, naturally the purpose in being in school is to give them all the tools, all the knowledge, and then the skill. And skill, by the weather is by the way, is acquired by practice. So that they will become fully able to function and participate as Americans because they are Americans and the purpose of the school is to help that all be true. Well, anyway, they got up and they left in rebellion and so on and so forth. I thought, my word, I can't imagine. But I went to a public high school in Robbinsdale, I've said many times, a little suburb of North Minneapolis, and I can't imagine an eighth grade class start dictating to the school, dictating to the teacher, standing up and walking out of class. My word, we couldn't even go sharpen our pencil without permission. And everything was okay. Everyone knew who was the teacher and who was the student and what was expected of them in class during the school workday. But we're losing that, folks. And those students are growing up and they're becoming young adults and they are filled with anger and hatred and rebellion against their parents and against any authority, certainly against a police officer, except they really don't know their history. They really haven't studied anything. And if you ask any of them one question of substance, they won't be able to give you the answer. So anyway, uh, I want you to hear exactly now something that rings in my mind as a reality. Ready? Now, does that does that bring back memories in your own in your own childhood situation? Because it sure does. I can just describe the scene where I was a little student just like that, and we stood up at the side of our desk, and there was an American flag in the classroom, and we recited the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag with our hand over our heart every morning before class started. That's the way it started in an American school, to pledge allegiance to the flag that represented what America was all about. So that's the way it just was. Now, I want you to hear something else right now. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, 
indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Uh, and, and, and you know, I, I can't ever remember attending a football game or anything where people were were together uh, to start something uh, without uh, honoring, honoring. And when the national anthem is sung, man, it has meaning. When the national anthem is sung and people stand, and I can remember in the in the in the in the big crowds of the stadiums. Why then men would take off their hats and you would stand at attention because why? Why? That wasn't the school song. That wasn't the state song. That wasn't that wasn't some popular singer. That was the national anthem. It belonged to all people, all United States citizens. That was our country. That was our nation. Now, how did that all happen? Here is something. I tell you what, folks, turn your radio up because you're going to learn something about the national anthem and the American flag. I never, never, never want you to forget because anyone that is in college right now or anyone that is playing professional baseball, uh, football, uh, basketball, or whatever it may be, probably you haven't ever heard this and you don't know it. And it's that's a shame. Here it is. There was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game, we stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? 
He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top, and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall, and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. <clears throat> he says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said, he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough 
there stood the flag, completely nondescript, in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. What he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground. Although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died their bodies were removed and others took their place Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were Patriots bodies he penned the song oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watch so gallantly streaming and the rockets break the bombs bursting in air through the night there are flags Say, does that star-spangled banner yet wait for the land of the free and the home of the brave? Oh.
thing now i want to tell you something folks we're talking about the american flag we're talking about the american flag the united states of america we're not talking about the confederate flag get it straight and we're not talking about a swastika we're talking about the american flag and we all participate in working toward making things better and making things great in America again, and having a government that will protect religious freedom and all other aspects. And I'll tell you something else while I'm on a roll here. Having a, a government and a president and all of those that really honestly are pro-life, respecting the fact that it's life first and then liberty, that's freedom, you see, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all want that freedom, and we should. But those that are pro-life for goodness sake, stop and think exactly. When you say you're pro-life, why do you say that? Is it true, and to what extent does it mean anything to you? Now listen, bringing it a little forward here, uh, remember Billy Graham had his crusades in Los Angeles, all over the country, really. But one of the people that became a Christian was Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, who'd probably made a lot of money, and he was a singer, so on and so forth, but his life was empty. His life was simply vacuous. Isn't that a word? But he didn't have any center ground because he did not have fulfillment or satisfaction because he didn't know the Lord. He became a Christian. Well, listen to what he said about the ragged old flag. I walked through a county courthouse square on a park bench. An old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole has leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat. And I sat down. Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night that Francis Scott Key said, watching it right and say, can you see? And it got a bad rip in New Orleans with Packingham and Jackson tugging at its seams. And it almost fell at the Alamo beside the Texas flag, but she waved on though. 
She got cut with a sword at Chancellorsville And she got cut again at Shiloh Hill There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard, and Bragg And the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag On Flanders Field in World War I She got a big hole from a Bertha gun She turned blood red in World War II She hung limp and low a time or two She was in Korea, Vietnam She went where she was sent by her Uncle Sam She waved from our ships upon the briny foam And now they've about quit waving back here at home In her own good land here she's been abused She's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused And the government for which she stands Is scandalized throughout the land And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing thin But she's in good shape for the shape she's in Cause she's been through the fire before And I believe she can take a whole lot more So we raise her up every morning We take her down every night We don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. On second thought, I do like to brag, cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. All right, now listen, I only have, I want to say this one time, our listener line where you can call and leave your comments, whatever they are. Whatever they are, they are important to us. And uh, the office uh, staff, they put the, um, they give me a transcription. They, they transcribe it into written form uh, every week. And that number is 800 345 2621. 800 345 2621. Now, let me say this. You don't have to be from any particular country to come and be an American. But you come through the door. You come according to law and rules and regulations that we, the people, through our elected representatives, have enacted into law. We are a country of law and order, for goodness sake, not standing in the street and screaming or anything like that. And obviously there's a tussle. Obviously there's sometimes some real hateful stuff that has to be dealt with. And I could all the way, all the way back through the civil rights and all of that. Of course it is. Hey, folks, this is America. So let's, let's treat it so. And I want you to hear what Charlie Rich had to say for everybody in America from wherever they have come. Here it is. You know, in the bayous of Louisiana, cowboy paint, that's what the Cajuns say. And in New York's Little Italy, Que Bella Terra. That's how they say it, baby. And in the beer halls of Milwaukee, you'll hear the words 
You know there's a lot of ways to say it And it's a privilege to play it Cause a lot of good people earned it And this is how I learned it You're beautiful for spacious skies For amber waves of grain Majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crowned thy good with This is Dick Bott with this chapter of the complete story as a public service for you folks, and I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.